اعوذبلشیطانجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لا یکلف اللہ نفسن اللہ وسحا لہما کسبت و علیہ مکتسبت ربنا لا تواخذنا ان نسینا او اختانا ربنا ولا تخمل علینا اسرن کما خملته علالذین من قبلنا ربنا ولا تخملنا ما لا طاقت لنا بی وافوانا وغفر لنا ورحمنا انت مولانا فنصرنا علالقوم الكافرین Allah burdens not any soul beyond its capacity. It shall have the reward it earns, and it shall get the punishment it incurs. Our Lord, do not punish us if we forget or fall into error. And our Lord, lay not on us a responsibility as you did lay upon those before us. Our Lord, burden us not with what we have not the strength to bear. And to face our sins and grant us forgiveness and have mercy on us. You are our master, so help us against the disbelieving people. In commentary of this verse, the principle of la yukallifu allahu nafsan illa wusaha is a very broad one. It has to do with human capacities and our capacities as a society. And also it has to do with the sharia that has descended upon us on the uswa of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Everything that Allah ta'ala places on us as a burden is perfectly within the capacities that Allah Ta'ala has created us in. And so any task that is assigned to us, whether as an individual or as a jamaat, is something that not only we are responsible, but we are fully capable of fulfilling. <clears throat> now this has one aspect of how um, the, the tasks that we are assigned, and it has one aspect of accountability. And these are two different things. When it comes to our capacities and the tasks we are assigned, those will always be within our capacity. But then, when it comes to accountability, there's a difference there. We are only held accountable for what is within our capacity. If anything goes beyond our capacity, we are no longer held accountable for it. So this is a distinction that has to be kept in mind. Because لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسها does not mean that we will never be burdened beyond our capacity. Yes, in principle, in the larger scope of things, in the religious affairs, the sharia, all of those things are within our capacity. But when it comes to individual experience, at times there are people who go through circumstances that are beyond human capacity. So there Allah Ta'ala promises that a person will not be punished. He will not, he will not be held against him. Now, this applies to our physical body and our mind as well. For example, we have a physical capacity of our body, but it can only bear so much suffering. It can only resist so much weight. If more weight is put on our body than our physical body and our bones and our muscles are capable of handling, then it will break. That's all there is to it. There's no changing that. But what Allah Ta'ala says is that we are not held accountable for something that we are physically unable to do. Or if we are physically assigned a task, then we can be held responsible for giving it our 100%. But if the task goes beyond our 100% and we break, then we would be given the full reward for having tried our best. Our failure is not held against us. The same thing applies to our mental capacity. Our mind is similar to our body in that it has a breaking point. And a person can be pushed to a point where he goes beyond his breaking point. There are people who go through such torturous and extreme situations that their mind is incapable of handling it. And so if a person breaks beyond the point that their mind is able to handle, and they're also, they are not accountable for what is beyond their 
And so, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسها applies in that situation as well. So there are circumstances that arise in the so many, in, in the many variables that arise in human life, where a person's body and a person's mind is pushed beyond their capacity. Because we are human beings, we are limited. We can't say that we are capable of handling every random variable that the world could possibly throw at us. So there, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلاها is a reassurance that you are only held accountable for what is within your capacity. <clears throat> and Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih Salis Rahimahullah explained that this also applies to the broader sense of what a community is capable of doing. And in this regard, Hazrat Muslim one who explained in commentary of the verse that Rabbana la wala tuhammilna ma la ta'ka that our Lord burden us not um, with that which is beyond our capacity. So here he said that this applies to many of the burdens that come on a person which are outside of his circle of actions. But he is influenced by the actions that are done by others. This is also implied in the words that لا تخمل علينا إسرًا كما خملته ولا اللزين من قبلنا that burden us not in the way that people before us were burdened. So here Hazur described that at times a person's neighbor can make a mistake because of which we suffer. Our society can make a mistake because of which the innocent people in that society also suffer. The fact that we are interrelated in society and we cannot be separated from each other shows that we benefit from the good actions of other people and we also suffer because of the mistakes of other people. We having been born or having being in the United States, we benefit from the decisions that our society makes and we're able to live according to a minimum standard of affluence that is not available to others. There is nothing we did individually to earn it, but we benefit from whatever it is that others in society have done to make this country and this society more affluent than others in the world. And when a person lives in a country where there is corruption as a result of which poverty becomes prevalent, so that individual suffers because of the mistakes and the faults of that society as a whole. So um, when we pray that do not burden us with that which is beyond our capacity, we also pray that all of us be brought up to standard together and that we not be held back because of the mistake of others. Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih Salis Rahimahullah explained that if there is a task that is assigned, let's say, to a group of a thousand people, and that task is within the capacity of those thousand people, but if 100 of them fail in fulfilling their responsibility, then no matter how much the other 900 try, they won't be able to meet the mark of what that potential was. So in the same way, what we learn from this is that we as a jamaat have a potential. And that is a potential that is achievable if everyone in the jamaat fulfills their responsibilities. But if there is a percentage of people within that jamaat who do not fulfill their responsibilities, then what that jamaat is able to achieve is no longer within their possibility. So everyone is intertwined in this way. But because of the failures of a certain segment, the potential is not able to be achieved what the Jamaat otherwise could have achieved. Now this is an obvious principle that Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih Salih Sayyid Rahimahullah described, but the reason why it's, it's of significance is the mentality with which an Ahmadi should function within a Jamaat. The mentality that we as an individual Ahmadi should have is looking at ourselves as an individual Ahmadi, but also seeing ourselves as a member of a local Jamaat and as a member of a national Jamaat. And to see that our spiritual potential to an extent is tied to the potential of our jamaat. And when others fail in one regard, then we also are held back 
in many other areas. And the success that a jamaat can achieve when they all work together gives individual benefits to the individuals of that jamaat. Whereas when a jamaat is not able to work together, then individually people suffer as well. So in the same way that when we have material affluence, a person simply living in a country that is materially successful, like here in the United States, we have a much higher common denominator. The lowest that is, we can fiscally sink to is much higher than in other countries. And in some other country, people will starve to death if they're at the bottom end of society. Here, people don't starve to death. Or maybe if they do, it's, it's, it's unheard of. But people have that basic education available to them, all those basic things available to them. So when a country is a country that is functioning well or is functioning successfully by the materialistic standards, then everyone in that society individually benefits. And when people want to achieve and strive to the highest levels of society, then they're able to achieve those highest levels. But where a society is corrupt, then even the people who want to strive to the highest level, they end up wanting to leave that society. This is something we experience in the world. Those corrupt countries, the most successful, intelligent, and educated people end up migrating and leaving those countries because they see that there is no potential for me in this country. This environment is something that does not allow me to flourish. And when a person begins to achieve excellence, they see that the jamaat or the community that I am a part of is holding me back. And I cannot achieve excellence until I am able to leave this corrupt atmosphere and go into a better environment. <clears throat> And on the other end, of course, those people who are poor in that society, because of the failures of their society, since they are the poorest in that society, they suffer far more than someone in the same position as them in another society. And they have to watch their children starve to death. So this analogy applies in the spiritual realm as well. That where there is a jamaat that is weak, that does not fulfill its responsibilities, then an individual suffers as well. We can't separate ourselves from the jamaat. And those who wish and strive to achieve the highest levels of spiritual excellence, their jamaat will hold them back in one way or the other. And those people who are spiritually suffering in that jamaat and who are trying to hold on, they're going to be completely lost in that society. They're going to starve to death themselves and they're going to watch their children starving to death. If a person is weak in a strong jamaat, then at least their jamaat will end up pushing them to come to Bajamat namaz once in a while. Their children in one way or another are pushed to go to the regular classes that happen. There is a structure that is established in their lives. There is an education that is given to their children. There is a base standard that is there. Those children are not starving in those jamaats. There is no spiritual starvation there. In the same way as here in America, everybody gets a basic public education. There's welfare there. There's food there. Soup kitchen. Something is provided. So a strong jamaat provides a baseline. Nobody is starving to death there. Even a person who is completely negligent is someone who is not going to starve and they're not going to see their children starve. But someone in the exact same position and putting the exact same effort in a weak jamaat, they suffer far more because their jamaat has brought them down. So we should see in what way we are connected with our jamaat, our local jamaat, our national jamaat, and see it as a personal problem that affects us. It's not somebody else's problem, it's our own problem. Our negligence of that problem is negligence of our own welfare. And the suffering that comes upon the jamaat as a whole is something that we and our children and our next generation have to suffer from. Now, when we look at the individual example of our own local jamaat, our own local masjid, we can see how attendance at the masjid is something that the entire jamaat benefits from. One thing that is observed in local masajid is that if a jamaat can get past a certain tipping point, let's say it's about 15 people or 20 people, if they can get about 15 or 20 or so people coming regularly to a certain namaz in the masjid, then a certain culture and a social aspect develops there, where people don't just look forward to coming there for religious reasons, they look forward to coming to the masjid for social reasons. 
If they don't come, they feel like they have missed out on something social, that there was an interesting conversation, everybody got together. This was something that a person had socially been deprived of. So when that tipping point is passed, and when that jamaat as a collective is able to get about 15 to 20 people coming to that masjid for one namaz regularly, then they don't fall below that point. Then there is a regularity there, there is a culture there in that namaz, and there is an enthusiasm to come which takes on a momentum of its own. But when that momentum is not achieved and when that tipping point is not reached, then the masjid for the most part remains, continues to struggle for those basic numbers. To try to get from three to four people is a struggle, to get from four to five people is a struggle, to get from five to seven people is a struggle. Just these one, two numbers are a struggle. When a person gets to 20, to go from 20 to 25 or 30 is much easier to go from three to four people regularly coming. So this is the way that the jamaat affects the individual and how there is a culture that is formed. And also, <clears throat> when a person comes to the masjid and he sees that it is empty, that there is nobody there, or maybe there's only one or two other people, then although he may find spiritual fulfillment there, but he does not find the social fulfillment there that is a part of the wisdom of Bajamat Namaz. And so now it is a bit more of a trial for him to come regularly for namazin. Whereas before he might have had a support system, he might have felt more motivated to come to the masjid. But when a person comes to an empty masjid, and he's the one who's there to give azan, and then maybe one or two people show up and they read namaz together, then he has less motivation individually to come for namaz. And it takes more effort and striving for him to achieve that same level that someone else is able to achieve easily. So these are simple realities of how society functions together. And there where Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih explained that a thousand people have a certain potential. And when a hundred of them neglect their responsibility, then that potential of a thousand people is no longer achievable. It's only the potential of 900 that is achievable. That goal of 1,000 is something that's out the window, it's gone, it's something that can't happen. So this is what he was speaking of, that we should see what the, our potential as a jamaat is and set that as our goal and realize that if we are not able to work together to achieving that goal, then it doesn't matter how hard we may work as a smaller group or I as an individual may be as a sincere individual, that goal is something that I have lost. The benefits of it are something that I have lost. And the, uh, the individual and the jamaat spiritual benefits of it are things that have been squandered and they cannot be uh, achieved. So what we, the way that we can think on an individual level as an Ahmadi is how can I improve the jamaat? How can I take personal responsibility to improve the state of the overall jamaat? How can I remove these feelings of despair which make me think that there is no helping? There is no way, the problems are unresolvable. It's too hard, it's too difficult. You know, when we throw our hands up and then we say that we're not going to do anything about it, how can we overcome those things? Because when the individuals of a jamaat begin to think on a social level and take social responsibility, then they achieve a level of maturity and a sense of responsibility that then becomes the foundation of the progress of that jamaat. <clears throat> لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسها لا تلا burdens no soul beyond its capacity لها ما كسبت وعليها مكتسبت this the interpretation of this we discussed yesterday the difference between كسبت and إكتسبت yesterday we described how goodness is done as an action with greater ease within ourselves and إكتسبت is evil as an action that is done with greater striving because we go against our nature but another interpretation of this is that Allah Taala easily rewards good deeds even if a person makes does a good deed by accident, Allah Ta'ala uses that as an excuse to reward him. Not just in the spiritual sense, but also that he is further encouraged to do more good deeds. 
But an evil deed that is done by mistake, that Allah Ta'ala does not punish. It is only an evil deed that is done with effort and with, with intention that Allah Ta'ala punishes. Then, رَبَّنَا لَا تُعَخِزْنَا إِنَّا سِينَا أَوْ أَخْتَانَا O our Lord, um, uh, punish us not or do not seize us if we forget or if we fall into error. In commentary of this, Hazrat Muslim who explained that a distinction between Nasina and Akhtana in this context is that Nisyan is that an, an, an absence of action. And Khata is the doing of an action but doing it incorrectly. So Nisyan is that we were supposed to do something but we failed to do it. And Khata is that we were supposed to do something and we tried to do it but we didn't do it sufficiently or we did it the wrong way or we did an action that was wrong. So here we pray in both of these aspects that do not seize us for having neglected our responsibilities, for having failed to act, and then for having done a khata, of having done a wrong action. We tried to do something correctly and then we failed to do it correctly. Our Lord, burden us not with a burden the way that you placed on those before us. Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih Rabbi explained here that this does not mean the burdens of the Sharia or the responsibilities of the Islamic law because those have been placed on us more than they were placed on any other people before because Islam is a religion that is meant for the entire world and our responsibilities extend to the entire world previous ummats they were only responsible for a very small circle so to think that this applies to the fulfilling of our responsibilities or the responsibilities of conveying the message of Islam to the world from those perspectives, then it is this dua, this, this, that interpretation of this prayer makes no sense. That the Muslim Ummah would be praying that do not burden us with those blessed responsibilities that the previous people had squandered. Rather, what is meant here is the, the mistakes that people had made and the punishments that had come upon them because of their having <coughs> forgotten their responsibilities and having... Um, wrongly acted in a way that was supposed to fulfill their responsibilities, that, which, that is which we are praying to be saved from. So here when we think about our nisyan, all the things that as Muslims we are supposed to do, and we think about our khata, all the actions that we have done wrong, and then when we think about it from a historical perspective, that previous nations were destroyed for these types of things, then naturally a person wishes to be saved from that burden. And this is what we are praying for. When we um, are reminded um, of la yukallifu allahu nafsan illa wusaha. Huzur explained that every burden that is placed on the Muslim ummah is within our capacity. In this day and age, in this world of atheism and people being completely averse to religion, our responsibility is to spread Islam Ahmadiyyat to the corners of the earth and to be the means by which the entire world will accept Ahmadiyyat. It's not just a theory, but practically how will it happen? It seems impossible, but it is entirely within our capacity to do this. Then also, not only in this day of Dajjal, Dajjal is the religious misguidance in this age. That is the Christianity, that is the uh, deception, that is the atheism, that is all the things that we are facing. To overcome the Dajjal is our responsibility as Ahmadis. It's entirely within our capacity. Then also, Yajuj Majuj. We see that the military powers that are oppressing the world, the purpose of Ahmadiyyat is to spread this message of love by means of which all of those powers will come under the sway of Islam and Ahmadiyyat. And all those political powers will fall and then the world will be replaced by a new world order. Again, this is something that is within our responsibilities. So to overcome the Jal and to overcome Yajuj Majuj is part of our responsibility. And Allah Ta'ala said that it is not outside of your capacity. So now when we think about those responsibilities as 
individuals as Ahmadis, what are we supposed to do? What does it mean to be an Ahmadi? What does Allah Ta'ala expect of us? What does the Masimah expect and what does Huzur Ta'ala expect of us? Then when a person prays that La tu'akhizna inna sina, that O oh Allah do not seize me for the negligences in my duties. This prayer is one of responsibility, it's not one of laziness, that I'm not doing anything nor am I going to do anything, but I beg for forgiveness for having not done anything and also for my future negligences that I've already made up my mind on. That's not what the prayer is about. It's a prayer of responsibility that I'm striving and I'm going to do better, but how huge this responsibility is and next to that the fact that I'm expected to fulfill it because it's within my capacity, then la tu'akhizna inna sila, that do not seize me, my Lord, for all those negligences that I have done in this monumental responsibilities, then O Akhtadna, that even the things that I have done to try to fulfill this responsibility, they have brought about such little results. They have been so meaningless. It's, it's almost as if nothing has been done. The, the efforts may have been well-intentioned, maybe not, but they may have fallen short of the mark or they have, may have been wrongly applied, they may have been lacking in wisdom. My actions have been deficient. That in Nasina O Akhtadna, do not seize me for my negligences and then the weaknesses and the failures in my actions, my, uh, the misapplication of my abilities. Then when a person thinks that in the past the people who have neglected their responsibilities and acted wrongfully, how Allah Ta'ala has spoken of them, that they became sharrul bariya, they become the worst of creation in the sight of Allah Almighty. They became maghzubi alayhim waladhaalin, they became those who incurred the displeasure of Allah Almighty and they became completely misguided. Even in our own Muslim history, we see that the Holy Prophet spoke of those ulama who would deviate as being the source of fasad and those upon whom fasad would come. He gave the analogy of pigs and monkeys that this is their likeness that there, there would be. He spoke of how cursed and how wrong and deviated they would be in those, in those days. So this is the fate that comes upon a people and a jamaat who neglect their responsibilities and who act wrongfully. So then naturally this fear is something that should accompany an Ahmadi and a believer at every moment because the Khilafat has repeatedly reminded us, as Masih has repeatedly reminded us, that simply doing bayt and coming under the register of Jamaat Ahmadiyya is no means of salvation. So there spontaneously the prayer comes that Rabbana wala takhmil alayna isra that do not place on us that burden, that burden that came upon people because of their disobediences and their failures. Kama hamaltahu alalazina min kablina as came upon those who were burdened before us, as the people suffered who came before us. And after this is Rabbana, wala tuhamdilna ma la taqatalana bi. Here, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Rabi Rahimullah described the difference between istitaat and taqat. And here, there is a distinct difference between the two. Istitaat refers to our capacity, and taqat is the strength that we have within that capacity. When Allah Ta'ala says that we are not burdened beyond our wusaha, that refers to our istitaat, our overall capacity, the capacity that Allah Ta'ala has given us. But taqat is the power that we have within that capacity. Azur gave the example that a healthy human body is perfectly capable of doing all sorts of things. But when a person neglects his health, then he squanders his istitaat and his taqat becomes less. His istitaat remains the same because he's still a human being, he has a body. He has all those capacities. Allah Ta'ala gave him all those potentials. But he wasted it away and he became useless in his physical body because of his laziness, his lethargy, because of the illnesses that he brought upon himself because of his own negligence. So there, taqat is something that is a different definition. And here we have to think about what our taqat is. Allah Ta'ala has given us a lofty istitaat by making us human beings. 
making us a, from all the makhlukat, the ashriful makhlukat. But compared to that istitaat, what have we done with it and where does our taqat lie? So we keep our taqat in mind and then we pray, Rabbana wala tukhambilna ma la taqat That our Lord do not burden us beyond our strength. And this prayer in and of itself carries an implication that we are going to increase our strength. We're not, we're, when we think about our taqat, naturally we think about how we squandered it, how it could have been more and how it could be more if we worked harder. So here taqat is something that reminds us of that point as well. So with these points will end today's daras and we'll go for the opening of fast which will be in uh, two minutes inshallah. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim inna ka khamidun majeel.